listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. There was a man, uh, a young man, many years ago that took over the leadership uh, of a ministry, really from an older pastor. And really before he began to take over this ministry, many people doubted him. Many people said he was too young. Uh, Many people said he would never measure up to the leaders that came before him. And as he began to take over this ministry, seemingly everything went his way, right? It it was like amazing that, that God just had his hand on this person. The the church began to grow uh, by incredible amounts. He preached incredible sermons where people really from all over would come to hear this person, to see this person. Thousands of people began to give their life to the Lord. And people would say there was just something special about this leader. Really what, what marked him, they said, was his character and but specifically his heart for the Lord. That they said that he was a man that just his time with the Lord looked different, right? He had a a love for the Lord that, that lifted him higher than other leaders. People wanted to follow this man. They wanted to be around him because of just the way he lived. And really, generations after, people would name their children and their great-grandchildren after this person. Some of you in here today, you're named after this leader. But there was a point in this man's ministry where seemingly he was thriving, crushing it, right? Maybe he had a few moments of sin and stumbled just like any other leader, but from all accounts, he was crushing it. Until one day, instead of going to work, he stayed home. And in staying home, he made the greatest mistake of his life. And if you know this story, this is the story of King David with a little bit of a modern twist of what it would have been like if it happened today, if we heard about it in the news tomorrow. In 2 Samuel, it captures this story where David, instead of going out with his army to go to battle, he stayed home. And in staying home, he ended up committing adultery with his neighbor's wife, Bathsheba. You've probably heard this story. Quickly, Bathsheba tells David that she's pregnant. And David does everything he can to try to cover this up. And in multiple attempts, he ends up calling for Bathsheba's husband to be killed at the front line of battle. Then he marries Bathsheba, still in an attempt to cover up his sin, to cover up what he's done. And 2 Samuel tells us that because of David's sin, their child would not survive. And nine months later, God sends the prophet Nathan to go and confront David, to, to address him for the sin that's in his life. And so Nathan goes and confronts David, and seemingly from what scholars say and everything I've studied, it seems like for the first time that nine months later, that David's sin hit him for the very first time as he's confronted by this prophet. 
And, and really, in that moment, he is moved to shame. He is moved to guilt. He is moved to brokenness. That, that sick feeling that we feel in our stomach when we recognize what we've done hits David all in one moment. And, and what's interesting is that as this story is accounted in 2 Samuel, we have kind of a second piece of it in the Psalms. And it's an account of, of David running to God. Like, what does David say after he's made the greatest mistake of his life? What, what does he plead with the Lord to? What, is, what does he say? What does he ask of the Lord? And so this morning, we're going to look at this psalm. It's one of the most well-known psalms. It's Psalm 51. If you have it, your Bible, otherwise it'll be on the screen, but I encourage you to turn there. We're going to read it in just a moment. And as we study it this morning, we're calling it a psalm for the guilty. And really, we're going to look at, for all of us, when we fall into sin, what should be our response? And we're going to see four truths this morning from Psalm 51 that we should live out. That when we fall into sin, how should we respond? We're going to look at verse 1. David begins, after making the greatest mistake of his life, this is his first words that we have recorded. It says, Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion. Blot out my rebellion. Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. First truth that we see from the psalm is that sin is serious. Sin is serious. David is recognizing that his sin is serious here because he can't stop thinking about it, right? It's, it's on his mind. He says in verse three, for I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. Uh, David is saying like his sin is like a movie that just keeps playing over and over in his mind. He can't get it out of his head. It's, it's like that moment for you when uh, when we've made a mistake and we acted out in anger, we said the things we didn't want to say, we, we acted in a way that we didn't want to, or maybe it's the moment that you're like, I I'm never going to be the person that gives in to that sin. That's just not going to be a struggle for me. And then you give in to it. And you say, oh, well, just one more time, right? Those moments, uh, they just circle around in our head over and over. And there's a reason for this. And David is showing us that when we play that movie of our sin, it's because sin is serious. There's a reason that it's on our mind. And if you're a believer, this is what the Holy Spirit does. is the Holy Spirit convicts us, reminds us of the seriousness of our sin, of what we've done wrong. And David continues, and he also shares that all sin is against God. It's serious because it's against God. Look at verse 4. He says, against you. You alone, I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence, or when you, you are blameless when you judge. And so the greatest effect of sin in this story was not the lying that David did. It was not the adultery that he committed. It wasn't the murder that led to Bathsheba's husband. The greatest sin in this story is that he sinned against God. He, he sinned against a holy God. In 2 Samuel 12, when Nathan confronts him 
And and Nathan kind of goes off, right? Nathan shares a story and it helps David to realize, I'm the guy that has done this. I, I I have messed up. And David's first response, the only thing that we have recorded that he says is this. He says, I have sinned against the Lord. This is what he's done. He sinned against the Lord and God hates sin. God hates sin because every time we sin, it breaks the fellowship that we have with him. It breaks the community of us interacting with him. God hates sin because every time we sin, we choose something other than him. And he knows anytime we choose something other than him, it's going to lead us to a place of regret and shame, of heartache, right? God hates sin because it hinders the light that we are called to shine, We're called to reflect him, to to display him to a broken world. And when we sin, we just reflect the broken world, right? We don't reflect the Savior that is in our life. And David says he should be guilty of hell. He should be guilty and thrown into hell. And with that, not only do we know from the story that sin is against God, but sin also is against others. It it harms and destroys other people in our lives. David, in the story, we know that the person probably the most greatly affected was Bathsheba, right? That in the story, we see that her husband and her child were killed. She was really forced to do things that she didn't want to do. And you can just imagine the pain and the heartbreak that she felt because of David's sin. Right, because of how he acted, she had to deal with the consequences of it for many years. And you can imagine the, the people that were in uh, David's house, right, that, that lived with him, that were around, that were affected by this as well, that maybe were around the sin, that saw the sin, directly affected by it. You don't have to read very far into 2 Samuel to see how David's sin affected his children. Right, that David's sin, his children responded in very similar ways. They, they made the same mistakes because of the decisions that David was making in this moment. And so our sin doesn't just affect us. It affects and destroys other people around us. And so the lie that we tell ourselves of no one's going to know. This is only going to harm me. This won't affect anyone else. That's a lie. Sin always affects other people. It always hurts and hinders others. If David could have only known, right, that just a small glimpse at Bathsheba would have led to so much destruction, surely he would have acted differently. Surely he wouldn't have given in to that. And so that should be a warning to all of us that sin starts small and innocent as we think it's no big deal, sin destroys. We, we, should, we should know that and replay that in our mind, that sin is going to lead to death. It's going to lead to destruction. It's going to hurt other people around us. David continues in, in verse 5, just talking still about the seriousness of sin. He says, Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. My wife is 34 weeks pregnant. Uh, We'll be 35 this week. 
And we're getting to the point where any day now, right, in a couple weeks, that this baby girl could come. And what we've really done from the start, as soon as we found out we were pregnant, we have begged the Lord that this baby would be healthy, right? That all the way through this pregnancy, that when the moment comes and this baby is delivered and our life changes like that, and we go to being really high energy people to being very tired people, right, all of a sudden, what we're praying for in that moment is when the baby comes, that the baby would be healthy and that mama would be healthy, right? As so many of you have done. But here, here's what's true, is whenever that moment comes and, and Lord willing, our baby is physically healthy, right? And I get that first moment to hold her. And from what I hear, that's going to change my life radically, right? When I do that. But when I hold her, and if she is physically okay, I'm still going to know that spiritually she's not. That spiritually she has a heart condition. And she would be born with this. That spiritually she's going to have a heart condition that means that she's separated from God. And because of this condition, it's going to lead her as she grows to want to go away from God. She, she's going to be bound to do things against him and against us as her parents that love her. But ultimately, she's going to be rebelling against God because of this heart condition that she has and that all of us were born with. And this is what David is pointing to, is that sin is serious because all of us are born with a heart condition. All of us are born with a heart condition that is going to lead us away from God a heart condition that's going to lead us to hurt other people without God. And so what this truth here that we have to catch before we go any further is so often we become numb to this truth. We forget about the seriousness of the sin in our life. We, we act like it's no big deal. We, we just continue on. We don't even ask for forgiveness for our sins anymore, right? Like it's just no big deal. And David says, to understand the gospel, you have to understand this. You have to be moved to a point where you recognize your brokenness. That all of us are born with a heart condition that will lead us away from God. I love what one commentary says about this. It says, Psalm 51 reminds us of the gravity of sin. That you and I think our sin is small, but it is extremely serious. Every sin matters to God. There's no big or small sin to God. Every sin is worth an eternity in hell. And all of us are guilty. And we should be radically fighting the sin in our lives. And so what David does in these verses is he's recognizing he's a sinner. He's recognizing the sin that he's done. And in, kind of in the same moment, he's confessing his sin to God. This is the second truth we see from the scripture, is that confession is powerful. Confession is powerful. Confession, if you were to Google it, it, it simply means to admit that you're guilty. To admit that you've done something wrong. And so if any of you have a dog and you've ever come home, and very strangely, your dog doesn't greet you at the door, as he always does. 
and you go to search for him and you find him and his head's down really low and he's kind of acting strange and and not coming to greet you as he normally does, what he's doing in that moment is he's confessing to you that he's guilty. He's trying to tell you, I pooped on the couch. I destroyed the kid's room. That food that you left out, I ate all of it, plus the wrappers. I'm going to have diarrhea soon. (laughs) This is what the dog is doing. In a strange way, they're admitting to you that they're guilty. And this is what David is doing. He has his head down low. He's dejected. He's telling God, I've sinned against you. I've made this mistake. I'm guilty of everything. He's humbly going to God, recognizing the seriousness of his sin. And then in verse 7, he begins to ask God for forgiveness. He says, purify me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear the joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out my guilt. What's so key here is that seeking forgiveness, it really separates Christianity from any other religion, right? So many other religions are focused on something different than Christianity here. And so David knows that there is nothing he can do to seek forgiveness, to be washed clean, right? There's not enough church services he can go to. There's not enough prayers he can recite or pray. There's not enough scripture he can memorize, not enough people that he could serve or go on enough mission trips, right? He knows the only thing he can do is go to God and humbly say, I'm a sinner. Would you forgive me? To just admit his brokenness before God. And so other religions believe that forgiveness or some would say cleansing of your soul happens by the things that you do. That that there's enough work that can be done that can allow you to be forgiven and be in a right standing before God. And this is not what our scripture would say. And aren't you glad that that's true with Jesus? That we are forgiven by what he has done on the cross, not by any of our works, that, that he did the work for us that we could never do for ourselves. And so the power of confession The the reason that we should confess our sins is the forgiveness that Christ offers us, that he would allow us to be washed clean. When we confess our sins, it brings freedom. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When you confess and practice confession uh, that the, really the weight of your sin, the shame that you're walking with is lifted. It's given over to the Lord. Confession leads us to joy in Christ. Confession moves us to a place of dependence where we recognize, God, I, I can't forgive myself. I can't do anything to remove this. I need you. Would you forgive me? And ultimately, confession points us to the power of the gospel, right? Of our, our desperate need for Jesus, that God has made a way that all of us could be forgiven. So confession is something that we should do often. 
We should confess our sins to God often, and we should confess them to others, other believers who can hold us accountable. Third truth from this scripture is that God is good. God is good. From the first words of this psalm, David looks to God's goodness. He focuses on it. It says in verse 1, it's according to your faithful love and your abundant compassion. And so in the midst of David's sin, he reminds himself who God is. That like David has seen through his journey, through defeating Goliath, through being the king and the leader, he has seen God's track record. He's seen God's character, that God is full of mercy. God is slow to anger. He's gracious. He's faithful. He's abundant in compassion. The goodness of God is that God has made a way through Jesus that everyone could be forgiven for all those that would trust in him. He is forgiving and loving to his people. All of us deserve death. Right? As that quote said earlier, every sin is worth an eternity in hell, but God is good. And so in the midst of our shame and our guilt, when you feel defeated by what you've done, when you know, and I'm living in sin, I'm addicted to this, remind yourself the truth that God is good. Yes, you are a sinner, but God is good. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's a beautiful verse. We also see the goodness of God and the fact that God is not going to just leave David where he is and say, hey, you're forgiven, good luck. But God is going to change David. God's going to give him a new heart. He's going to renew him and change him for the better. Look at verse 10. David says, God... Create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me, but restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. And so in this moment, David asks God to create a new heart for him. But notice what he doesn't do here. And this really caught me off guard as I began to study this and look at this. David doesn't ask, God, would you remove the sexual temptation that's in my life that that caused me to do all of these sins that led to murder and all of this? God, would you remove the lustful desires? David recognizes it's much bigger than that. He says, God, I need a new heart. Would you change me from the inside out? For David, forgiveness was not enough. And I think that should be an encouragement to us. Don't just seek forgiveness from God, but seek repentance. Seek to be changed. Seek to live differently. And so God doesn't just forgive David. God forgives David. He changes his heart. And then he's going to say, you're unleashed for my kingdom's sake. I'm going to use you for good, right? You did mess up. You made that mistake. But now you are going to be changed. And I am going to use you for my goodness for my glory. And so David, in this moment, he repents from his sin. And he's asking God, would you cleanse me? Would you change me? Would you point me in a new direction? That's what repentance is. 
We talk about this a lot when teaching with high schools. It's just primary place that God's placed me to teach is we talk about that repentance literally means in the Greek to turn around, that you would 180 from the sin in your life and change your direction. He's saying, God, would you bring me back to the joy of your salvation? Would you bring me back to that first moment at, at kids camp when you changed my heart? Would you remind me of that truth? We'll, we'll wrap up with this final point. Fourth thing we see is that restoration creates transformation. When you've experienced the restoration of God, it creates transformation. We'll finish with reading verses 13 through 17. It says, Then I will teach the rebellious your ways, and the sinners will return to you. Save me from the guilt of bloodshed. God, God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not want a sacrifice, or I would give it. You are not pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart, God. David says that restoration creates transformation in three ways. It moved in David's heart to evangelism, to worship, and humility. And so the first thing he says there is that David, in the response to what God has done, is going to teach other people about the goodness of God. He, he is going to share with them about how God has changed and restored his life. He says, teach them God's way. And so one commentary says it this way, just a simple truth, is that David is compelled by God's grace to proclaim God's grace, right? From what he's experienced, he has experienced God's grace. Now he is going to share it. He is going to share it from the rooftops. And so if you've been restored, if you've had a moment like this, not just that you have experienced salvation, but that you have experienced a moment of repentance, are you sharing that with unbelievers and believers? Are you teaching them God's way? Are you modeling for them a life of confession and repentance? Are you sharing with people that even in their sin, even in their guilt, even in all they've done, that there's a God that loves them, that he's not moved, he's not run from them, but he desperately cares about them and wants a relationship with them. Are you sharing that with other people? Are you investing that into them? If you're a parent in the room, this is what God has called you to do. God has called for you as a parent to model for your children a life of confession. That, that when you mess up, you go to them and say, hey, dad, dad messed up here, right? Mom messed up here. Would you forgive me? You, you model a restored life and pray that God would transform your children in the same way. And so David says you would be moved to teach others and then also you would be moved to worship. And so when you recognize the seriousness of your sin and you recognize what God has done for you, it moves you to worship differently. That when you sing songs and praises to God, you worship him with a renewed strength because of who he is. And so when I was 16, 17, I would say I really made the greatest mistake of my life. 
I, I gave in to, for really for months and years, gave in to sexual temptation, gave in to lust, looked at things I shouldn't have looked at, and I was a slave to it. And when I became, uh, there other believers kind of came around me, began to point out the sin in my life. And when I began to confess those sins and repented of those sins, oh, you better believe it moved me to worship differently, right? Because I recognized how broken I was, how disgusting that Austin was, that I would do this against a holy God. When I would go to church, I was just overwhelmed that God would still love me, right? Despite what I had done against him. The, the third thing that David says is that when you have been restored and transformed by God, it should move you to humility. And man, don't miss this. A restored life is a humbled life. When you have been restored by God, it moves you to humility. Restored believers recognize the seriousness of their sin. They, they recognize that all of us, we're in desperate need of God's grace, that you would preach the gospel to yourself restored believers don't live like we have it all together. We don't walk around and say, man, they are a mess. Look at them, right? They're not judgmental, but they know they are born just like everyone else with sin. And so no one has arrived. No one is sinless. All of us are broken. We're the chief of sinners. And so we walk in humility. Walk in humility. And so in summary, whether this morning you find yourself like David and you would say, hey, I'm in the midst of the greatest mistakes of my life. Or if you would say, man, I'm in a totally different camp and I am just seeking to pursue after Jesus with everything I have. Truth is, is all of us are guilty. All of us have sinned against a holy God. And so when we fall into sin, we need to remember these truths. From Psalm 51, that sin is seriousness, sin is serious, confession is powerful, God is good, and restoration creates transformation in our lives. The order here is really important. There's a reason that this psalm is written the way it is, right? As David is, is pointing out to us, is hey, you can't live a life of confession unless you first recognize the seriousness of your sin unless you recognize your brokenness, right? And you can't be moved to a life that's transformed and restored unless you first confess those sins, right? It goes in order. There's a reason that it's written this way. And so as I prayed and asked God, how, how should we end this time together? I felt like God put on my heart that we should just have a time that we reflect, right? No story that I, that I would encourage you with and try to leave you challenged, but maybe some questions that, that God could move in your heart for you to consider, where, where do I need to grow? And so they're going to be on the screen. Here's four things that I want to encourage you and myself to consider. First one is, when was the last time you were disgusted by your sin? When was the moment, like I shared earlier, like when I was 16, I was like, I am a wreck. How could God ever love me based on the sin that's in my life? When was the last time you felt that way? When was the last time that you've been disgusted by your sin? Secondly, are you living a life of confession? Would you say that your life is marked 
by confessing your sins to God and confessing your sins to others. As I studied this, God convicted me of like, man, I'm not living a life of confession. Right? I'm not living my life weekly and saying, God, man, I've messed up. Would you forgive me of what I've done? Third, are you focused on the guilt of your sin or the goodness of God? Where, where would you say you lean more towards? Are you, are you leaning solely, fully, man, I am guilty. I'm never gonna go over this chronic guilt. Are you focused on the goodness of God? Don't stay in the camp of chronic guilt, right? God, let God allow you to transform you and to move you. And so maybe that's where you need to spend time with this morning is asking God to help you there. And finally, number four, have you repented and began to live differently? Are you living a life that's transformed if you've repented from your sins? If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. 